Hi, welcome to another NBC Church podcast. We hope that this message encourages, equips, challenges and edifies you in your walk with Christ. Subscribe to this podcast and share it with whoever you know. Thank you. Good morning, guys. Welcome to uh, the sermon this morning. We're going to preach through Hebrews 5, Hebrews chapter 5, the whole thing uh, yet again. Um, But before we do that, let's pray and then let's get into the word. Father, we thank you once again for this gathering. Um, even though we're separate, we are together in spirit. We are together in Christ. We are together through the word. We are together because we've been forgiven by the same Jesus. The same blood bought us. The same Savior died on the cross for all of us. And we just thank you for that, Father. And thank you that we can learn about you through this book. The writer really wanted you to be known as the greatest in this book. Um, and thank you for that. Thank you for the kids' church and for music. Thank you for the Garrickies for doing music. Thank you for everyone watching um, and everybody new that will tune into this uh, through YouTube. Thank you for this technology that lets us do this. Thank you that one day we will gather again and it will be sweet. Um, Just work through your word this morning. Make it uh, penetrate our hearts. Help us to listen to it and obey. Thank you for this time together. In Jesus' name, amen. So I've entitled this morning's message, The Greatest High Priest, and he wants us to grow up. And uh, you'll see why I've entitled this soon, because uh, there's the fact that the greatest high priest ever is mentioned, and Jesus does indeed want us to grow up, thanks to what's written uh, down the bottom of chapter 5. So let's get into the message this morning. So we're going to read through Hebrews 5 together, through the whole thing. So Hebrews chapter 5. For every high priest is taken from among the people and appointed to represent them before God to offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. He's able to deal compassionately with those who are ignorant and erring, since he also is subject to weakness. Uh, This is the New Living Translation, by the way. Uh, And for this reason, he is obligated to make sin offerings for himself as well as for the people. And no one assumes this honor on his own initiative, but only when called to it by God, as in fact Aaron was. So also Christ did not glorify himself in becoming high priest, but the one who glorified him was God, who said to him, You are my son, today I have fathered you. As also in another place God says, You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. During his earthly life, Christ offered both requests and supplications with loud cries and tears to the one who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his devotion. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through the things he suffered. And by being perfected in this way, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. And he was designated by God as high priest in the order of Melchizedek. On this topic, we have much to say, and it's difficult to explain since you've become sluggish in hearing. For though you should in fact be teachers by this time, you need someone to teach you the beginning elements of God's utterances. You've gone back to needing milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is inexperienced in the message of righteousness because he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature, whose perceptions are trained by practice to discern both good and evil. So God bless the reading of his word this morning. So we ended last week with establishing that Jesus is a sympathetic high priest, very capable of empathizing 
with us. He understands our pains fully, our sorrows, our inner struggles, our physical exhaustion. He is in a position to go to God because he has entered the holy place to be the sacrifice for sin. Not just for us, but literally, Jesus was the actual sacrificial lamb. He himself is the sacrifice. It's like the sacrifice itself being the sacrifice for sin. Instead of the person having to sacrifice something and then they kind of do it, Jesus himself is the sacrifice. No more bulls and goats are required. No more covenant of works because Jesus has entered the holy place once for all, given us perfect spiritual rest. That is our Sabbath. We discussed that last week or the week before. That's what the Sabbath is all about. A picture of this perfect spiritual rest that we, you and I have as believers. We have this rest. So chapter 5 specifically points out just how superior Jesus is to any human priest. Verse 1 says that every priest has been taken out of man. They are a sinful man, but selected by God to go to him on behalf of the people to offer up sacrifices to cover up sins. Not cleanse fully. A priest could never fully cleanse sin because they had to do it again and again. They could only cover it up. It's temporary. It was temporarily covering the sins of the people so that they may once again try to maintain their good works and to be saved. The sinful person would have to approach the priest to have his sins covered. There was no way he could do it himself because he was sinful. Chuck Smith explains this further. This is a great quote. The high priest represented the people before God. That was his duty. I could not come directly to God. I would have to come to the priest with my offering and I would have to lay my hands upon the head of my sacrifice and confess on the head of the ox or the lamb all of my sin. The priest would then kill an ox or lamb and he would take and offer it as a sacrifice unto God for me. So the high priest was ordained for men. He was taken from among men, but he was ordained to come before God that he may offer both the gifts and sacrifices for sin. This man needed to have compassion on the ignorant and on them that are out of the way, for he himself also is compassed with weaknesses. That's Hebrews 5, 1-2. So that's from Chuck Smith there, explaining that to us. So some people in Israel, and us too, sin ignorantly, and completely without knowledge that we're doing wrong. But most often... Before our salvation, we sin willfully, completely aware that we're disobeying God and after and missing the high mark of moral perfection that he demands of us. And we just don't care. And I can remember doing this in school. Uh, it was middle school. I remember uh, I was in Sejuna when I was in uh, a school there. And I would, on purpose, swear and carry on and do extremely silly things like ruining property and swearing with my friends trying to disobey God on purpose. I specifically remember saying in my head, I'm doing this on purpose. I know what I'm doing. I am disobeying God on purpose. And it was one of the things that pained me about my upbringing is that I tried to, on purpose, disobey God. And I thought it was cool. I thought I was being uh, a rebel. Um, I thought I was, you know, doing myself a favor by experimenting with sin and trying to impress my friends, and it was just ridiculous. It was really silly. I was trying to throw off the Holy Spirit's restraint on me to impress my friends, thinking I could get in, get away with it right in front of God and Christ. This period didn't last long because Jesus convicted me of my sin. I repented. Uh, I left the friends group I was with, had another friends group, uh, started playing drums in church, and started ministering to the, the church again. 
um, way back then when I was about, this is about 12, 13 years old, um, in the late 90s. Gives away my age right there. But anyway, I was sinning willfully and without excuse. Both these sins were covered by gifts and sacrifices to God, but the system was never sufficient for all time. You cannot have a system of sacrifice where someone else has to sacrifice for sin again and again and again with the blood of bulls and goats. It was never going to work uh, successfully for that amount of time. The phrase taken from man here meant that the priest had to understand human anguish and sin. He had to be able to cry out on behalf of the people because he knew the people's hurts and fears. Their shame, their guilt, their anguish and sin. And you know what? Jesus was both fully human and fully God and completely understood all of our pain. Our sorrows, our physical fatigue, our thirst, our feelings when we lack something. Loss. He felt it. Remember on the cross when God turned his back on Jesus? And he said, Father, why have you forsaken me? He understood loss, discomfort, uh, physical ailments. He understood all of that, yet was without sin. Tempted in every area, the Bible says, but yet without sin. The word for weakness here, here's the quote. Uh, the word for weakness in this verse is... Asthenia. Asthenia from Hebrews 4. It means malady, frailty, and feebleness. Again, a human priest had to exercise these traits to be considered for the role. To be considered for the role. And Jesus suffered so much and felt our pain that he qualifies. Amen? Jesus qualifies. He is the perfect high priest. Verse 4 says that absolutely no priest could earn his spot on his merits. None. There was never a priest appointed that offered sacrifice for sin and got there by doing enough or earning enough brownie points or accumulating enough charity. He was simply selected by God, sovereignly, for the role, pure and simple, because God was perfect and able to select whoever he saw fit. Now the JFB commentary has this to say of uh, the priestly role. Let's read this together. Of any other family... But Aaron's, according to the Mosaic law, can take to himself the office of high priest. This verse is quoted by some to prove the need of an apostolic succession or ordination in the Christian ministry, but the reference here is to the priesthood, not the Christian ministry. The analogy in our Christian dispensation would warn ministers. Seeing that God has separated them from the congregation of his people to bring them near himself, and to do the service of his house and to minister as he separated the Levites, Korah with his company, that content with this, they should beware of assuming the sacrificial priesthood also which belongs to Christ alone. Jesus coming in and becoming our high priest wasn't for Jesus' vanity or pride or self-image. Jesus did this because he wanted glory to be given to God, the Father. And this was evidenced in the fact that God says this in the next verse, in verse 5. So here it is. So also Christ did not glorify himself in becoming high priest, but the one who glorified him was God, who said to him, You are my son, today I have fathered you. John Gill says this uh, about appointing Jesus as our high priest. Here it is. He appointed him to this office. He sent him to execute it. He anointed him with the oil of gladness above his fellows. He consecrated and established him in it with an oath. 
and prescribed to him what he should do, suffer, and offer. He declared to him what we might, he might expect as a reward thereof. These words are taken out of Psalm 2.7. God took pleasure in making Jesus a high priest. And we get the benefits of this by having Jesus intercede for us because of his acceptance of this role, this humiliating and humbling thing for Jesus to do. Think about it. The very creator of the universe, of you and I, coming down and clothing himself in flesh, this weak flesh that's dust like ours and dying a sinner's cross on our behalf, is incredibly merciful towards us. This is an act of mercy, of grace, of giving, of self-sacrificial love, humility. Jesus had everything in heaven, every glory, every treasure, every joy, every self-sufficiency. Jesus needs absolutely nothing in heaven, yet he comes down and dies on a cross for us. It's astonishing. This is grace. This is a role that we should recognize Jesus in daily, this priestly role. He's like the perfect high priest to intercede on our behalf like the priests uh, human priests in the Levitical priesthood only perfect on our behalf now Jesus is mentioned in verse 9 as being salvation for all in a better way than Melchizedek this mysterious high priest truly is an enigma but is mentioned in scripture so we need to talk about it I thought it'd be best to do a bit of research into who this guy is and what he's all about, because you've heard of Melchizedek, but who on earth is he? He is referenced in uh, Genesis. Uh, So let's have a look. So here it is. This is from gotquestions.org. If you ever want to ask a really good question uh, into a search engine that's biblical, go to gotquestions.org, and you can type in anything pretty much about a name of someone you want to know, a doctrine, a topic and it will have an answer for you that's quite solid so here it is Melchizedek whose name means king of righteousness was a king of Salem Jerusalem and priest of the most high God Genesis 14 Psalm 110 Hebrews 5 and 6 and 7 Melchizedek's sudden appearance and disappearance in the book of Genesis is somewhat mysterious Melchizedek and Abraham first met after Abraham's defeat of Chedorlaomer and his three allies Melchizedek presented bread and wine to Abraham and his weary men demonstrating friendship. He bestowed a blessing on Abraham in the name of El Elyon, God Most High in Hebrew. And praise God for giving Abraham a victory in battle, Genesis 14, 18 to 20. Abraham presented Melchizedek with a tithe, so that's a tenth of items he had gathered. By this act, Abraham indicated he recognized him as a priest, because he's tithing to him, uh, who ranked higher spiritually than he. And that's saying something. In Psalm 110, a messianic psalm written by David, so Matthew 22:43, Melchizedek's presented as a type of Christ. This theme is repeated in the book of Hebrews, where Melchizedek and Christ are considered kings of righteousness and peace, so they overlap. Uh, by citing Melchizedek and his unique priesthood as a type, the writer shows that Christ's new priesthood is superior to the old order and priesthood of Aaron, the Aaronic priesthood, Hebrews 7, 1-10. Some propose that Melchizedek was actually a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ. This is called a Christophany. And this is really, really something if you believe this. You can believe this. This is a possible theory given that Abraham had received such a visit before. Consider Genesis 17 where Abraham saw and spoke to a man, sorry, with the Lord El Shaddai in the form of a man. Hebrews 6.20 says, Jesus has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. This term order would normally mean 
or indicate a succession of priests holding the office. None are ever mentioned. However, in the long interval from Melchizedek to Christ, an anomaly that can be solved by assuming that Melchizedek and Christ are really the same person. You can believe this. This is a good uh, theory. Thus, the order is eternally vested in him and him alone, in Jesus. Hebrews 7.3 says Melchizedek was without a father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning or days or end of life, resembling the Son of God. He remains a priest forever. The question is whether the author of Hebrews meant this actually or figuratively, because he was that good. If the description of in Hebrews is literal, then indeed it's difficult to see how it could be properly applied to anyone but Jesus. Who on earth has no genealogy, no end, no beginning? No mere earthly king remains a priest forever, and no mere human is without father or mother. If Genesis 14 describes a theophany, then God the Son came to give Abraham his blessing, appearing as the king of righteousness and the king of peace and the mediator between God and man. So that's from Revelation 19, Isaiah 9, and 1 Timothy 2.5. If the description of Melchizedek's fig the details of having no genealogy, no beginning or ending, and a ceaseless ministry are simply statements accentuating the uh, mysterious nature of the person who met Abraham in this case. So, the silence in Genesis' account concerning these details is purposeful and better serves to link Melchizedek with Christ. So, are Melchizedek and Jesus the same person? A case can be made either way. At the very least, Melchizedek is a type of Christ, prefiguring the Lord's ministry, but it also is possible that Abraham, after his weary battle, met and gave honor to the Lord Jesus himself. So this could be Jesus in the Old Testament, literally meeting with Abraham, giving him a blessing, Abraham tithing to him, conversing with him, uh, and pre-incarnation of Jesus appearing for a bit. This is exciting stuff. Now, verse 11. Sorry, not verse 11. We're getting there. Uh, let's go back up here. Whoever he is, Jesus truly is the high priest who saves eternally and who is a high priest forever, who forever reigns, who forever intercedes, who forever takes our prayers and petitions and presents our souls to God, as the song says. We get to have the very best person who can sympathize with us and who also is fully God on our side. We are under the care of God when Jesus is our high priest. He cleanses us from sin fully, day by day. Mercifully, we are no longer working to have someone go to God once a year for us to cover sin. We're eternally atoned for, fully forgiven, justified, made righteous, and given adoption status as kids. We are kids of God now, adopted in. Every priest gave temporary relief from the consequences of sin. They were covered for a time. Jesus comes along and provides a once-for-all sacrifice for sin. Amen. So verse 11. On this topic we have much to say and it's difficult to explain since you've become sluggish in hearing. For though you should in fact be teachers by this time, you need someone to teach you the beginning elements of God's utterances. You've gone back to needing milk. For everyone who lives on milk is inexperienced in the message of righteousness because he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature. Those perceptions whose perceptions are trained by practice to discern both good and evil. Verse 11 is incredible in that it urges us on to maturity as believers instead of being attached to the bottle like a baby, so to speak. And Chuck Smith says this of verse 11. Listen to this. Oh, watch out for that. That is one of the most common diseases within the church. Arrested spiritual development. A person comes to the knowledge of Jesus Christ, then they hit a plateau and just hang there. 
They never go on. If you talk to them, they're still talking about the same things they were talking about 25 years ago. Arrested spiritual development. They're no further along in spiritual maturity than they were 25 years ago. You see them and they're still drinking bottles. Entertain us. Do a dance. Do a jig. Sing a song. Play a harp. Do something to entertain me. They can't take the strong meat, the strong doctrine. But you know what? You folks are spoiled because once you've developed a taste for strong meat, you'll never be satisfied with the bottle again. And some of the people that go back out and get some of the excitement of the bottle experiences they used to have as a babe find out it doesn't satisfy anymore. It doesn't nourish. It leaves them wanting more straight away. Once you get a taste of the strong meat of the word, I will tell you it spoils you for everything else. So you're spoiled. You just can't go back to the old routine anymore. You've been spoiled. You try to go back and you say, wow, did I used to engage in that? Chuck Smith. So let's be mature believers. Let's move on in our doctrines and our theology and go deeper into God's Word, which is what we're trying to do here. We're, we're exegeting this verse by verse so that we can learn together. And I've learned an absolute ton doing this, and I hope you get to as well. So, being spiritually numb and staying where you are with the Lord is a terrible thing. It stunts your growth. It makes you hardened to further teaching and further theological truth. It makes you want to go back to the comfortable first things you learnt as a believer and to just sit there wanting ice cream and chocolate instead of nourishing meat. And every word of God is daily bread. We live on His Word day by day. Every word is crucial. Every doctrine is essential. All of it. The atonement, sanctification, justification, glorification, the Trinity, Jesus' sinless life, God's wrath, God's love, God's justice... God's sovereignty. We need to teach on these things and learn these things and grow in these things. If we miss these due to stubbornness and lack of interest, we actually remain babies. And I don't want to be a man considered a baby. I really don't. And I'm sure you don't want to be a woman considered a baby when you're with your friends. I want to move forward. I want to dig deeper into theology that God's given us. Verse 12 states that people have returned to the law of Moses even after hearing about Jesus and knowing he was the Messiah. So they've tasted, they've seen, they've heard, they've received Jesus, sort of on a surface level, rejected it, gone back to the old law, the old works covenant. They're unsatisfied with Jesus and wanted their insufficient covenant. They weren't prepared to grow and to be changed by Jesus, the Lord. Instead, they rejected him and wanted the basics, the first five books in the Bible, and that's it. The JFB commentary again uncovers the sad reality further. Listen to this. Namely, of the Old Testament. So this is talking about what they wanted. Instead of seeing Christ as the end of the Old Testament scripture, they were relapsing towards Judaism. So as not only to be... not to be capable of understanding the typical reference to Christ of such an Old Testament personage as Melchizedek, but even much more elementary references. How sad it is not to see Jesus for who he is. These people could have seen Jesus, but they didn't. They wanted their old, comfortable blanket back of the law and what they were used to, which was insufficient to save. Jesus is capable to save forever. How sad it is to not see Jesus for his finished work, the glory that he has because of his resurrection, his power to save, his returning again. To want to reject that for inefficient things that pale in comparison. To go back to the fundamentals as if Jesus didn't come in the first place. To act as if we have more important things to think about and study than the depths of the love Jesus has for the world and us. It's lunacy. But people do it. Let's not be that people. Verse 13 actually describes in Greek the infant we become. 
when we refuse to engage with Scripture as grown-ups. The word is nepios. See it right there, nepios, which means a minor, an immature and not yet an adult. It's like going back to not being able to drive or vote or pay bills or work or do taxes and run a household, like someone who has no real-world experience or appropriate responsibilities. That is quite the thing to say. So if we don't move on in our doctrine, our theology, and go deeper into Christ, we're like a minor who can't do anything, who can't be anything, who can't go anywhere, who's stuck. Solid food is for the mature, says verse 14. It's for men. It's for grown-ups. Those who can discern good teaching and right teaching by those who are studied to show themselves approved, a workman who doesn't need to blush. We know the difference between someone who's teaching like that and giving us food and someone who is giving us absolute fairy floss, fluff and nothing. So I'm going to end it here with this quote from Chuck Smith again uh, on growing in the word. Listen to this. Growing in the word, it gives you discernment. It gives us discernment. You can immediately begin to discern some of these milky little scintillating kinds of doctrinal trivias. And you say, hey, it's fraud. Whipped cream, not nourishing. And the guy next to you is getting blessed out of his socks and he's saying, oh, isn't it wonderful? Isn't it marvelous? There's nothing here. It's cotton candy. It tastes sweet, but it dissolves. There's no substance. Chuck Smith. Guys, let's be a people that can discern good theology from bad theology. Let's train ourselves to do that. And I'm hoping we can work through some things like that. Uh, I know that I was taught bad theology in a Bible college I went to. I've gone to two different Bible colleges. One was a Pentecostal one, which I can tell you about if you ever want to ask me. Another was a Reformed, solid, evangelical, worldwide Bible college. Very different teachings in both of them. Uh, And in one, they would allow me to teach bad theology and just mark me on the presentation of my sermon instead of the content. And then in the other Bible college, you get bad marks if you don't get the right answers, if you preach the wrong theology, if you get the wrong idea about a subject, then you have to go and do it again. This is quite different uh, because one was not a very discerning Bible college, the other is. And I'm not saying that um, it's this easy to spot uh, the differences between two different people teaching you stuff, but that's kind of like the contrast. You should be able to know the difference between when you're being taught good theology because you'll know your good theology and when you're taught bad theology because you will know your bad theology. And there's ways to spot both, um, as Scripture says. But let's grow in our faith. Let's mature. Let's move on. Also, as a church, let's grow and be challenged and move on. Let's use our gifts where we can. Let's preach those of us that haven't preached before. Let's train ourselves to preach. This is a church that needs preachers and i'm kind of doing this as a call out those listening can you preach can you learn to preach i've taken this on not as someone who has preached worldwide or done whatever i've done like ministry trips i've done two different theology courses uh circ four in one and a diploma in the other uh two years in one one year in the other going on to do my associate of divinity soon and want to teach because I saw a need. I saw the need that we were needing to do a church service because we were not going to be able to meet together. And please don't leave it up to one guy. Like if there's a need, 
fill it. Like if there's a need for music or kids teaching or a kids church, fill the need. Like get trained in that, grow and mature like the Bible's saying and not take the baby stuff that we've known before the baby theology and be comfortable and just sitting there and doing the same thing over and over again let's grow go deeper mature challenge ourselves do new things do exploits for jesus because he has a will for us he wants us to do good works it says in ephesians that he's prepared for us to do and if we're not doing them if we're just working and just going to church when there's a huge need in this church that's kind of in a transitionary period uh we need to pray about that as we've been doing and we can pray together about that and chat about it and see how we can move on and work together to do that with um our pastor bill so let's pray and let's get into some worship father we thank you for today we thank you that we can meet like this we can hear the word and your word is as you say it's a a sword it's sharper than any two-edged sword it's the most powerful weapon there is. It, it pierces what needs to be pierced, splits what needs to be splitted in us. It moves us on to better works. It grows us. It gets us deeper into you. And thank you, Lord, that we can go deeper um, through Bible study and preaching and listening to good resources and bouncing ideas off each other, getting wisdom from older godly people, um, people around us. And just thank you, Lord, that we can do church still, even though we are in a pandemic that's kind of possibly ending but we're not really sure we just don't know and i pray that in these uncertain times we can still trust you know that you're with us you care for us as our high priest who is perfect thank you for that lord and we just ask you bless the rest of the service in jesus name amen let's worship <laughs> 